Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to Combat Chronicles. I'm Carl Mack. And we're only going to talk about two fights on this episode. And I think if you listened to... I'm trying to remember if I actually said this. But if you listened to last week's episode, you'd have heard me say that I was only really talking about Tyson Fury and Dillian White. It's not strictly true. We're going to talk about one more fight as well. Um, but that is still going to be the main focus of this episode. If you listen to the preview podcast, which is for patrons only... And if you didn't, then why aren't you a patron? I, I, I stuff the advertising down your throat every week. Come on, guys. Um, all jokes aside, um, I did pick it pretty much down to a T. Uh, some things I didn't envision happening because they're just sort of out of left field. Um, and some things I was not completely accurate with. But generally, the ebb and flow of the fight was much uh, how I envisioned it. And... Uh, the Styles matchup played out pretty much exactly how I saw it going. But there's maybe some sort of oracle. It wasn't the hardest fight to pick going in. The fight was over-egged, I think, by the British public and a gullible bunch of British fans who, for years now, have had some bizarre notion that Dillian White is an elite heavyweight if only someone would give him the chance. I think we've clearly seen with this fight that that was not true. And, uh, you know, he was the man going life and death with Povetkin, Chisora, Parker, etc. Uh, fighters you shouldn't really be going life and death with if you're going to challenge the Gypsy King. So let's have a little uh, think about how this fight went and, and the notable moments from it. And then the fallout from it and discuss what I'd like to see going forward from Tyson Fury. In this fight, really, the thing I didn't see coming, or something anyone saw coming, was Dillian White coming out of Southpaw. Uh, pretty weird, um, didn't seem particularly natural for him, seemed quite clunky. Um, unlike Srisaket saw Rungvisai in the rematch with Juan Francisco Estrada, he didn't persist with the wrong stance with Saul Rungvisai, of course. He started boxing orthodox in that bout. And the weird thing about this one is White pretty much abandoned it straight away. Um, I think... He didn't feel particularly comfortable doing it. I t- turned to my, my dad and said, look, as soon as Fury starts establishing anything, White will revert to type. And he did. Um, he wasn't able to get anywhere near Fury. Um, the range battle was won by Fury. And then one, once White tried to close distance, uh, the only thing White really had going for him when he went back to you know to Orthodox, that is, was a right hook to the body. 
He wasn't able to get his left hook off because he wasn't able to jab his way in or establish his jab at all, which he does like to. And basically, the only thing you sort of do with these rather loud sounding but telegraphed right hand swings to the body, of which that's a very good punch that uh, Fury throws too. But basically, White was offensively impotent through much of this bout. I did say in the preview that the punch that Fury's generally open to is the overhand right, and White hasn't got a particularly good one. And I feel somewhat vindicated by the fact that White was swinging and falling over his front leg as he tried to land an overhand right, which was quite frankly abysmal. Fury himself was a little bit sloppy in the early going and struggled to get his timing down. But once he did, he was able to land basically whatever he wanted on White. I liked the body shots that he tried to incorporate as the fight went on. And what I found most interesting was once he started getting the right hand involved, which he loves to do, he loves to swing the uh, the right hook around the guard and likes to throw one too. Then he started getting White biting on everything. And I had one of those strange... Larry Merchant in the Nassim Hamid Kevin Kelly fight moments where I turned to my dad and said he's going to stop whipping the right hand round and he's going to turn an uppercut in instead and as I said it in came the uppercut and well he got completely flattened didn't he to see Fury finally overcoming the stigma of uppercut himself in his own face by uh, landing uppercut that people will remember uh, for the rest of their lives rather than that one what's interesting about as far as that I said about Dylan White reverting the type I didn't just mean orthodox White is a fighter who tries to masquerade as a boxer puncher type when he's actually inherently a slugger I think I mentioned this on the preview as well and essentially whenever Fury landed a particularly good dinger White would then come forward steaming into him, throwing big, wide, sloppy shots, because his natural instinct when he's hurt is to sort of run around fancy crazy. He's not a uh, particularly smart pressure fighter, he's not a particularly good finisher, and I say he's not particularly skilled. Um, in this fight, he lost a skill battle because he just couldn't operate at range at all. He's completely nullified by Fury's hand speed. Uh, his, his own dictating of the pace and uh, and his essentially his jab. There's nothing White could have done. In close when White steamed in, he'd done himself in as well because Fury was so much better on the inside, so much stronger. He's able to clinch. Uh, he's able to get overhooks and just wrestle White around and then just take the wind out of his sails, essentially. There was absolutely no range, not only in which White could win, but could feasibly be competitive for any long stretches. There was not really any range where White could be reasonably competitive at all. Which is kind of what I assumed going in. Didn't think this was a particularly interesting fight stylistically. Somewhat of a showcase for Tyson Fury. I would say anyone who thought it was going to be good uh, is stupid, doesn't know what they're watching and is easily... uh, There's basically gullible to matchroom PR and uh, the opinions of other stupid boxing fans but 
I paid 25 great British pounds to watch the fight. So who am I to say anything? So actually, the, the narrative of the fight is uh, not all that interesting. I say some nice stylistic things from Fury. Uh, say diverting White's attention with the the right hand upstairs, round the guard, causing him to bring his hands up, and then splitting the guard with the uppercut. Although actually, uh, White just didn't jab his way in. As I say, he sort of lumbered in uh, into the pocket with just sort of... He's a slower foot anyway, which I'm happy to say the commentators picked up on, but again, something I said beforehand. Anyone's slower foot compared to Fury outside of, I guess, Usyk, but White especially so. But when he got caught with that uppercut, he was just lumbering in behind nothing. MMA fans talk about naked low kicks and stuff. You know, you've got to set up your kicks. You can't just wade in and, you know, you get caught. And if you just throw a right hand out of nowhere, you just get caught and all that sort of stuff. It's the same for boxing. White tried to close the distance behind the threat of absolutely nothing. Didn't really even feint a jab. Didn't do anything. Walked in. Got clobbered. Got wiped out. Open to the uppercut. Um, the the setup was different, obviously, to Povetkin's. Uh, for first of all, that was a left uppercut. This was a right uppercut. But now Povetkin obviously dipped over to his left hand side, and and caught White as he was throwing. He'd already set him up. Obviously, he'd, he'd fainted him into that. He'd given him a lead. Drew White's uh, own offense. Slipped. Bang. Caught him in the uppercut. Laid him out. Uh, this one, Fury's setup was, as I say, based on Fury's own offense. Uh, first showing. White looks that he didn't like, um, showing him the right hand around the guard and the straight right to take his eyes off the uppercut and, and reaching his defence to the point that White had no choice in his mind to try and close the distance, as I say, hastily, sloppily and not befitting of anyone who's going to challenge uh, probably one of the best uh, heavyweights of all time. I didn't say greatest, I said best. Which brings us to the talk of Tyson Fury's legacy because... He seemed pretty adamant he's retiring, at least from competitive boxing matches. That's disappointing uh, to me personally. Fury's clearly still in his prime, um, or you know, in his prime enough that he could take on at least one more fight, and there's only one more fight we want to see. Some people might still want to see the AJ fight, couldn't care less, especially once Usyk spanks him again, which I thoroughly expect him to. People want to see the Alexander Usyk fight, let's be honest. For all the bouts, all the marbles... Best cruiserweight of all time, the greatest cruiserweight of all time. The guy with three other belts, undefeated, undefeated at heavyweight um, against the Gypsy King. The only guy who can match Tyson Fury skill for skill. The only guy we know is sort of uh, unimpeachable in his durability and defence. And the only guy with a 12 round stamina to take Fury on, essentially. Um, all things that make me think that Fury doesn't want this fight. Um, Fury is a megastar uh, Usyk is well known well respected I, th- I think Usyk's a, a decent enough draw I mean you, you could have the fight in, in, in England and you could have it at Wembley people know who Usyk is he won Olympic gold over here he's beat Joshua he's fought Chisora over here he's seen as somewhat of a zany character he's not some you know he's not salt and a bragamov some completely unmarketable uh, sort of ex-Soviet block fighter Usyk's a character he's well known as I say you could easily sell that fight Fury just dismisses him as being too small or you know whatever he's never said anything positive regarding Usyk uh, as a potential opponent but as I say Fury apparently isn't completely done 
in what appeared to be one of the shortest retirement U-turns in the history of combat sports, and that really is saying something. He had this to say after the fight. It was complete. What sensation do the fans leave you? It was fantastic, but before we go, I want to bring in Francis Ngannou. Francis, for coming in, ESPN, ESPN. Is this your next fight? I'm the boxing heavyweight champion, UFC heavyweight champion. He's in great shape. Look at the muscles on him. And we're going to find out who is the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Good man, Francis. Yeah, we apologize for the language. I get a couple months, then I'll be right back on my feet. He's a good looking, he's a good looking Javi, isn't he? Have you got a big Tory? Have you got a big Tory? Big what? Hey, this is getting off the chains, but will we see it in the octagon or will we see it in the ring? Good job. Octagon or ring? Well, this is going to be a very special fight like never before seen in the history of our sport. You know, we're not talking uh, two, two light guys, 140 pounds. I'm 170, he's 100, 270 pounds, so it's going to be an explosive fight when it happens. It's going to be a hybrid, uh, hybrid fight with different type of rules, yes. you know, MMA gloves in the ring, kind of like mix up, make something a little different. Mike Tyson, Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou not want to mix it up. Here we so, first and foremost, couldn't care less about that. Um, in terms of a sporting contest. The fact Fury saying, come over here, France, at ESPN, that was clearly set up beforehand. ESPN, of course, got to deal with UFC. Throw a lot of money around. House and mouse and all that. think that Francis is being very open about not wanting to fight on a, you know, on a, on a typical UFC slave deal. I wonder if they've said, look, we'll give you this one. Then you come back, fight for 600 grand again. Uh, Dylan White got paid about, I think, about 4 million quid or something for this fight. Um, I can't see Ngannou making that much. I mean, they've sounded the shit out of it. The way Fury was talking, look at the muscles on him. You think you couldn't sell an Usyk fight? The bloke's not stupid at all. Immediately talking about how great Ngannou looks, how big of a banger he is, etc., etc. You know, selling up his credentials. You're telling me you couldn't? Talk about how big Usyk's eyes are, or how scary he is, or you know his gold medal and all his belts. Come on now. Um, it might be the Fury's going to slip into the Floyd Mayweather sort of uh, role of fighting guys. I don't know how many people we can fight from other sports, really, but you know, fighting dudes from other sports. Glory going to spunk their load and get him to fight Rico. I doubt it. Um, not as mental as the uh, Japanese on New Year's Eve, that's for sure. Not be throwing that sort of money around. Um, so yeah for me sporting wise not at all interesting in terms of the narrative of what we just listened to seemed pretty legit did not seem to be out of nowhere did not seem to be ad hoc seemed to be a fury felt he had to get that in um, seemed to be uh, signed off on by someone Um, hey then again you know before what just if you happen if you happen to beat Dillian White Tyson, could you make sure you call Engano over at the end? I mean, will they really put that sort of pressure on him? I don't know. These are the kind of things we can't figure out uh, off the cuff. But the reaction online, the amount of people that are seemingly excited about this, even four-ounce glove boxing. I mean, a couple of months back, I remember some particularly shy, um, I think, British or, or European MMA account, I can't remember, but saying, like, Engano only needs one punch. Like, did... Way to tell on yourself. You ain't got a fucking clue what you're watching, have you? You haven't got a fucking clue. Um, 
but last night, see it again. People were like, oh my god, look at this. Unbelievable. Fury's going to fight Garnu. Who gives a fuck? Got probably the best fight you can make in boxing and therefore one of the best fights across all of combat sports. Sat there. Could easily be made. And you want to do fucking Ingarnu freak show fight in which Francis will... Yeah, I'm glad he's going to make some money, but he's going to get his fucking head jab, jabbed off and his cunt kicked in, let's be honest. So yeah, to make my thoughts perfectly clear, Fury's a fucking brilliant fighter. Um, that was a showcase for him. Dillian White now has hopefully been finally bludgeoned into irrelevance. I'm not a fan of him particularly or his fans. Glad he didn't get seriously hurt. That's nice to see. But um, yeah, well out of his depth. And the post-fight fallout has left me feeling a little bit icky. Someone else might feel a little bit icky last night. We'll get to that after the break because we talk about Kyoji Horiguchi versus Patchy Mix and therefore bring this episode to a close. See you then. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. So, Kyoji Horiguchi has lost two fights in a row for the first time in his career. And interesting tournament, interesting uh, a bunch of fighters in this Bellator, £135. They call it a Grand Prix, but it's a tournament. Grand Prix is going to be on one night. Come on, guys. Get it right. Then try and sell me a phony Grand Prix. Um, already beset by injuries and whatnot with the champion, Sergio Pettis, pulling out. Well, that's fine. The winner can fight for the title. That's fine. And we'll get to the title situation in a minute. But on this fight, um, Patchy Mix is humongous. And Kyoji Horiguchi should be down at 125. Um, I think... Gucci's success against so-called 135 pounders in Rising, who could probably also make 125, and the fact uh, Darren Caldwell is quite uh, a bit flaky, in my opinion. Um, I think that kind of made people think that Gucci's absolutely fine at 135. I don't think he is. I think he should be at back down at flyweight, a division that neither Rising nor Bellator has. Um, but I was speaking to someone online about this, and uh, I think that you should accommodate Horiguchi. If you can if you if you can if you can accommodate the likes of Cyborg fighting fucking dead divisions, you can get someone to fight Oraguchi. Even if it's just glorified exhibitions, he's earned that. He shouldn't have to fight these giants. Patchy Mix is humongous. Absolutely humongous. Patchy Mix's style, I mean, given his size, fifteen years ago he'd probably be at one fifty five or one seventy. Um and he'd be much the same fighter he is now. Um essentially a powerful grappler. Uh, who has output, striking output which is sporadic and striking uh, skills which are in, still in their nascent stage. Um, the first round is a 10-8. Um, hilariously, John McCarthy gladly saying it's a 10-8 when he was saying the other week that Aljo um, Piotr Jan round two was not a 10-8, but that's big John McCarthy for you. Um, a guy who seems to have Second hand, like second hand smoke, absorbed all the strikes that he's seen in the cage as an official. 
um, because he hasn't got a fucking clue what he's talking about most of the time. Um, but yeah, that first round was clearly patchy mix, and, and the fifth round was just about patchy mix. Um, we'll get to that in a second, but first round, yeah, backpacked him, um, did a lot with it, some really painful looking cranks and whatnot, and yeah, clear ten eight for me. But second, third, uh, and fourth round were all Horiguchi. Um, it's patented sort of darting in and out karate boxing style. Um, a mix didn't really have much of an answer. Late, I think in the second round, I was nearly give that a ten eight to Horiguchi. Funnily enough, which would have leveled it up because he he was the only one doing anything. Nothing of much worth that came later, but um, he was the only one doing anything. But right in the last twenty seconds or so, uh, uh, Mix managed to time him with a couple of uh, left straights down the pipe, and I thought oh, it was they were good enough shots that the fight was competitive enough that I gave that a ten nine. Uh, but I had uh, Horiguchi winning the third and fourth as well. Um, Mix didn't even realise until the third round really that if you've got a tiny guy darting in and out on you, just intercept him with a knee. Um, and landed at one point and kind of smiled and thought, I figured something out here. It's like, yeah, it really shouldn't have taken you 15 minutes to figure that out. But um, he did come into his own uh, late in the fight again with some, uh, again, he sort of just, not panic wrestled, but just went back to his bread and butter and thought, fuck this little guy, I'm going to take him down. And um, it got reasonably, I wouldn't say close, but they were effective submission attempts. Uh, Horiguchi kept it close in the fifth round because... Uh, Mix had a backpacked him, but they were still they were still standing, and uh, there was not really much going on with the submission attempts in that round. And Horiguchi was elbowing him to the thigh, and later on when he got on top, he was the only one landing strikes. So um, he made it, he made it uh, competitive enough uh, that it was only a ten nine. So from that, you're getting that I had the fight a draw. Um, I have no idea where they had forty eight forty seven across the board for Patchy Mix. Where's this third round? That he supposedly won. Don't see that myself. Don't get it at all. Um, yeah. I don't know. I haven't looked at the actual individual scorecards. I don't know if something was going on there. But uh, I mean in terms of how it was scored. I'm not saying it was fixed. I'm just saying I don't really get that at all. But yeah, in terms of the dynamic. Um, Oroguchi did what he did. And because of uh, yeah, Patchy Mix hasn't really got much going in stand-up. He sort of keeps his head... Centred all the time, not really much in terms of defence. Um, Horiguchi just sort of raided him uh, in second, third and fourth round. Landed the much better shots and uh, was able to get in and out. And Mix was just resorted to the odd pot shot, uh, none of which were particularly effective, as I say, apart from the odd. Uh, he landed a couple of half-decent straight lefts down the pipe. But Horiguchi's Horiguchi, you know, nice check left hook if, if Mix tried to barrel in. Um, you know, low kick's great and, uh, you know... Just brilliant, brilliant fighter. Really dynamic and nice to see. He is one of the most bounce back of all fighters I've ever seen. Um, you know, off the back of a horrific knockout against Sergio Pérez, which was the inaugural uh, Combat Chronicles knockout of the year for 2021. He comes back and puts on a really good performance and doesn't look anywhere near shot. His submission defence was really good, um, despite being a tiny flyweight, essentially, against... Well, even by most standards, a humongous uh, banner weight. So, um, yeah, I think Gooch needs to look at what he's going to do uh, going forward, because um, even though he arguably deserved to, arguably deserved to win, but you know, definitely deserved a draw in my opinion, and performed admirably. Um, the fact he's bounced back from a knockout like that is great. He obviously did it against uh, Kayasakura as well. He got stopped in the first round, came back and and beat him up, um, and that was after horrific injuries. I think he'd done his ACL, if I'm, if I'm not 
if I'm not uh, mistaken. Horiguchi just just cracks on, you know, and and, and the talks of him as as this uh, absolute monster in the gym at ATT as well. He's a guy who's clearly got a lot of miles on the clock, but for whatever reason is both mentally and physically tough to the point that he's not easily broken. So it will bounce back from this. But I just, in terms of, I think people online are sort of overblowing it. Like, oh, he's now lost two in a row. Um, first one, he was absolutely pissing that fight against Pettis, and then he got caught. Um, wasn't lucky or anything. Pettis um, clearly set that up, and it was what he did that caused that knockout to happen. It wasn't just some, I hate when people say, oh, so fluky. Fluky is someone tripping over and landing on your knee. Uh, there was a clear process to that, which you know, Pettis was trying that out. So, um, and, and, it, and, it, and it clearly adapted his tactics to try and get closer to Horiguchi in that fourth round. So for me, uh, perfectly valid win, but Horiguchi looked really good. And then this one against a, a guy who's massive um, and can put him in some bad positions, although not a bad, solistic um, match-up for him on the feet, despite his size. Um, I think Horiguchi performed really well. So I have no doubt he bounced back, but I just think for either the guys he fights for, Bellator rising, either get him fights against smaller fighters, or create a division for him because why fucking not? I mean, Bellator, you got women's one hundred and forty-five pound title. You can absolutely have a piss week flyweight division and just set it up for Horiguchi to be your champion. I mean, what's your fucking problem? You you got not you not got much going for you. So you might as well do it. Um, as for Rising, I mean, you have you know out of shape former kickboxers fighting YouTube celebrities. And uh, you send in uh, O and O uh, Kokushin Karateka against fifty five thousand year old TK. So you've got not got a leg to stand on either. You can gladly make a fucking division for Horiguchi to fight in. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you had Jared Brooks. That would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, fucking hell. Ryzen's Ryzen's had fights between one hundred and fifteen pound men. So yeah. Sorry, just had a meltdown there when I realised there's absolutely no reason for them not to have a men's £125 division. Fucking do it. Give Horikuchi some smaller guys to fight. I'm not saying he needs a participation trophy. I mean, it genuinely looks unfair. I mean, even against Sergio Perez, who'd come up from Flyweight himself, he looked really small, Horikuchi. So, um, yeah, this is not me advocating easier matchups for a fight or a like. I just mean in, in, in all sorts of sporting fairness. Also, these Bellator and Rising, you, you're low on stars. You fucking got one. You got a fighter who some independent uh, analyst would have had in the top ten pound for pound before he lost to Asakura because his run was so good. His post UFC run was so good. Um, not going to talk about any more fights in depth, um, but Juan Archuleta versus Rafion Stotts was the other quarterfinal. Well worth checking out. Div one versus Div two wrestlers. Um, some eh, slightly interesting grappling moments, but. Uh, some more interesting moments on the feet, and Stotts for me is favourite to win the tournament. Uh, he was supposed to fight Sergio Pettis for the title. Sergio Pettis pulled out injured, and he just beat Archuleta for the interim title. So for me, given his current run, I think he's only he's only ever lost to Mirab with that uh, spinning back fist. So no shame in that. Um, I really like Stotts. I, I like he shows growth from fight to fight, and I think uh, he's he's quality, and and this tournament's quality, and uh, I think you should check out. Uh, everything you can from it. Uh, there was another better tour card on, on Friday night, but I couldn't really care less. I think there was an alternate belt for the tournament, but again, couldn't really care less. And as for 
Cyborg versus Woman rematch. Uh, couldn't care less. And as for that UFC card, uh, couldn't care less. Although Jessica Andrade is brutal and very cool. The only other fight you have to check out is the fight from one, uh, one championship this past weekend. Or was it Friday? I think it's Friday. Yes, it was Friday indeed. Muang Thai the Elbow Monster versus Liam Harrison is a surefire contender for fight of the year across all combat sports. One of the fucking zaniest, most mental, batshit, one round, up and down brawls you'll ever see in your entire life. So as soon as this podcast finished, if you have not checked that fight out, just just immediately drop what you're doing and watch that because you know you'll 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 get through it in less than three minutes, and you'll then go back to the beginning and watch it again and again and again, and you'll text your friend and say check this out, or you'll share it on Twitter and say fuck me, have you seen this fight? And it'll be one of those fights that in five years time when you see someone on Twitter randomly say what's your favourite one round fight, it'll spring to mind straight away. So um, yeah. From a technical standpoint, don't worry about it. Just go and watch it and enjoy um, on another week's podcast. Maybe I would have just devoted the whole episode to it. Um, but just phenomenal. And I mean, Liam Harrison's been a mainstay for as long as I've been a Muay Thai fan. Uh, and Wang Thai was at one point one of the scariest dudes in all of striking. So quite the win for Liam Harrison. Really happy to see him do it. Um, just, just unreal. No episode next weekend because I am on holiday or as my friends over the Atlantic might say, on vacation. Uh, It's bank holiday weekend and believe it or not, I do have a life outside of fighting. So my partner and I are going away for the weekend. But there will be Patreon episodes and if you want to jump on that, go over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. Got a couple of decent uh, Patreon episodes coming up. And I'm hoping to get a very special guest on one of them. So I hope you'll be interested in that. That'll be for Closet Classics. We're due a Closet Classic. So let's get one of them going. Um, whether that'll be this week or next, not 100%. But there will be Patreon episode this week, a Royal Robbery. So head on over to Patreon to listen to that. And I'll see you back on this feed in two weeks' time. Thanks as always for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.